Hello, guys. Welcome to NGF News. Uh, sorry for the late uh, updates for this one. Uh, we were just in New York City, and we all got sick from our Model UN conference. So we apologize for the late recordings, but here we are um, with our latest global developments. We've got two pretty decent episodes today, and this one's going to be on uh, the violence in Sudan and then the uh, import bans in Pol from Poland, Hungary, and other European nations on Ukraine and, and wheat imports, right? Yeah, yep. wheat imports. Yep. Uh, so my voice sounds a little uh, a little sick, so I do apologize uh, in advance. I also might cough throughout this recording, so I also do apologize for that. But um, we're going to go straight into the situation in Sudan. Um, this was kind of a surprise when I first read it. Um, it kind of was just like out of the blue, um, this one, yeah. when, when I started reading, first reading the headlines. But uh, Sudan has seen a new level of infighting with uh, now 270 dead as of 419, uh, 2023. So, and close to... A They're thousand, six hours ahead of us, right? I believe. That's still today. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, EST. I ESD, ESD. ESD. Oh, ESD, uh, okay. Yeah, and close to 1,000 plus injured. So, what is going on right now? Um, Sudan is currently being run by a military rule, uh, a council of generals. The two people in charge include General Abdel... Fatah al-Burhan. Oh, that's the, that's that was pretty good, yeah. Uh, the leader of the armed forces of the country and General Mohammed Hamdan Dagbalo. Okay, that's not bad. That was pretty good, too. Uh, Rapid Support Forces RSF leader. Uh, you want me to keep going or do you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll just say, like, this is a, a background. There was a military coup in 2019 over the dictatorship of... Uh, let's see if I can get his name. Oh, it's not even bad. Omar al-Bashar. Sheer. Sheer. Um, but this is, he was an authoritarian, authoritarian leader in 2019, and the country really wanted civilian leadership. Um, but the military had to obviously take over first to kind of facilitate. And neither have given up power. The army has been the main control, but now the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, um, are having infighting. And there's three main reasons, or two main reasons. And one was uh, the army want control of Khartoum. Um, in the country, in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan. And one of the other issues was there was 100,000 troops being brought into the army from the RSF, and they were wondering, who is going to have control over those 100,000 troops? The yeah. RSF wanted control. The army wanted control. Well, the whole shebang, you know, it, it's it's an interesting one because it's not, it's, it's for leadership, but it's not even like for leadership of the country. <laughs> They're just worried about who's going to control who in the armed forces. Yeah. So, I mean, it is also for leadership for the country. Um, I know that uh, Burhan wants to seek um, an elected government, and he won't hand over power until there's an elected government. Um, but it's there's more concern of the RSF, where they want kind of like the more militarily militaristic rule. And um, the RSF uh, leader, General Dagalo, he seeks control of Sudan's gold mines as well, on top of wanting um our tomb as well oh, um so there's kind of uh there's kind of two things going on so one wants the money and the power while the other one wants to hold the power until there's an elective government but there's still suspicion that both sides are just fighting to maintain their wealth and influence in the country rather than actually uh seeking to um make a elective yeah it's been like this since when, did you say? 20... 2019 was the coup. So they had from 2019 to 2023 to... Elect. To create an elected government, which the military rule, not the RSF, the um, the other... Um, the military... Of the Sudan, army, yeah. Yeah, the army. 
they had from 2019 till then they promised that they were going to make a military uh a democratic rule and they never yeah they haven't even held elections yeah which so. is insane and and sudan has had a, a big history i mean the arab spring affected sudan a lot um because of the split and divide of culture and the divide of government um in their neighbors um they they had a little bit of the arab spring in terms of a larger muslim population but they didn't have that cultural gift that other neighboring countries like egypt or libya but sudan this is a big problem for the african union because you have you have so many conflicts going on right now you have you know poor poor people in in south africa right now um struggling to retain power with also the uh what do you call it the, the racial thing i always forget um where white people control majority of the oh i know exactly what you're talking about i can't think of that term. yeah i can't think of the term but then there's also the democratic people's republic of the congo which is their problem but the african union is just not getting involved in there's rwanda there's ethiopia uh somalia and now another civil war is breaking out in, in, in Sudan. And this is a big, big problem. At one of our classes that we're taking is global convergence and how globalization is important. And this is one of the places, and Africa is one of the places where you can see globalization um, not working. Where the rift is, African Union came together how many years ago? And still hasn't been able to really function as a unit like like ASEAN has, or like right. the European Union. So this is a big problem. Yeah, that, I mean, that is also part and due to because after all the colonists and all the uh, people who engaged in, what is it called? Imperial? Not imperial. What? what it's Colonialism. Like colonialism, but there was a, another term I'm looking for. Not imperialism? No, no, no. I don't know. Anyways, but we kind of, after all the colonial, colonialists kind of left, we kind of just like left it, let it be. We we didn't really have a set plan on how to make, how to create elected governments or democratic governments. Mm-hmm. We, we just kind of left all the colonialists, people who had their hands in Africa, gave them their independence, helped them formulate their independence. And we kind of just left our hands. We were like, all right, well, everyone else can deal with it now. <laughs> Dust it off. That's exactly away. what happened. And this is why these infightings are happening. These civil yeah, wars are happening. Absolutely. We gave them no plan on what to do we gave them no support and they're all fighting for control it's yeah it, this, it, this is half of it is our doing it is half of it is i would i would even go to say more than half of it is our doing because um especially in the cases of europe um because they had so much influence on their the way their countries were ran at that time or, or colonies as they would call them um the word i was looking for was apartheid oh it's apartheid <laughs> could not think of it yeah um, but it's the reverse apartheid in South Africa that's happening now, where the, the majority of black is going against the, the white, mm-hmm. um, which which understandable, but like it's still a problem, right? Um, but anyways, yeah, the, you're right. Look, we we left a lot of rubble, um, not just in terms of infrastructure, but in terms of with people, because they did not believe in themselves and there's two there's two different there's so many different ethnic groups in africa that believe that they should have this area and this area and this area and we kind of just drew lines we and drew we lines said, and we said we're not going to give you, you anything else to help you with but yeah that's it that's literally it. yeah this is you this is you and we left like um ethnic groups that despise each other right next to each other and this is part of the reason why there's there were civil wars that's yeah. why the rwandan genocide happened that's why 
Yeah, I mean, Tutsis, the Hutu, the people in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, then you have Ethiopia and Somalia, um, South Africa. I mean, it's, it's, it's so stark yep. differences between these um, countries of the civilization. And it's not that these people can't get along. It's We've seen it before where in places where there's ethnic diversity, that they could get along. I mean, if you look at the UK, for example, I mean, Irish people and Scottish people and British people are all different, Welsh people. But now it's like, they live in decent harmony. Yeah. There's not much of a problem. I mean, that's part of due to because of the elect, well, not even elected officials, people at the top just want control and that infighting. Yeah. And then that kind of, that corruption mindset that, that mindset of wanting control and wanting power feeds into the people. Then you have the people wanting to engage in that violence as well, too. Absolutely. So, yeah. There's a lot like more holding hands that the, the Europe and, and the United States and Western powers need to do with these African countries because it's not it's not that it's their fault that they're in this infighting. They need they need a helping hand. They need you know investment. They need help building infrastructure. They need help with governance. And not that we do, we don't need to go in there and just like help them. Like we can't just like what we did in Afghanistan. Force it. We need to guide them yep. along these principles. Give them investments and show them that we're here to help, not just here to force you to do this and that. And and, and in many cases, the biggest issues arise when Russia and China wants to put their influence, and in the United States and Europe wants to put their influence, and then the. The cultures get split even more because now it's not just a, a cultural divide; it's it's a political, political divide. divide. Yeah, and that's a big issue too. Well, that's why we have to be like essentially the first mover and get in there before the yeah. Russia and China or BRICS in general breaks from expanding into other African countries as well. Yeah. So I mean, South Africa is just South Africa in BRICS is, is getting a, no damage. Yeah. None. They are the state, and before 2008, they were one of the most roaring economies in the world. I think South Africa was number one right. on the list in two, pre 2008. Since then, their economy has been on average of 1% to 2% GDP. And for an economy that has pretty good infrastructure, technology, good financial services, and nuclear and energy services, that's very low. Right. Very low. So that's not good. And they're not benefiting because China, Russia, and India, and Brazil, I mean, I'd say besides Brazil, are, are, are developed. Right. So they're not going to benefit anything from that. Um, yeah. Um, I, I do have a question. Yeah, what's up? Uh, this question is, what do you think, you th or do you think, the UN will send in a giving mission? Ooh. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. That would mean we would have to get Russia and China to not veto this one. And, and here's the thing. China and Russia aren't really, like, involved in Sudan. So there's going to be another situation where they're going to be like, okay, well, we're just going to sign off. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. maybe we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. But because they're not really, no one's really focused in Africa right now. Not it's really. going to be another thing where, where it's going to be, we're going to create this peacekeeping force. We're going to send them over there to do whatever. Uh, our eyes are right now on Russia, Ukraine, so they're just gonna they're just gonna look over it. But I don't even think they they will create a peacekeeping force, anyways, because I don't think they just they don't have the attention right now for it. So the UN is right now is in such a stalemate. Yep. Between and not even just in the Security Council. I mean, the General Assembly is struggling to pass 
resolution resolutions right? unanimously at the moment, and that's especially on on things uh, pertaining to like climate change, and that's in recent years that has historically been like almost, almost unanimous. Yeah, like and now it's like thirty delegations are either voting against or abstaining, and it's like that's that's bad. So to answer your question, I don't think so. It would be nice to see because um, there were the three World Food Program employees that died. So that should should initiate some sort of response by the United Nations. But I mean, all they did was uh, they didn't pull them out, I think. They pulled out the World Food Program and they're just going to wait, I guess, is what they're going to do until the the fighting stops and then they're going to send them back. But it's just like... I mean, this this war just started. That's the thing. It just started. The fact that it just started and 270 died with thousands of injured yeah. tells you how bad it's going to be. And because it just started, why wait? Just do it. Just like get to the Security Council, approve the forces, send them in. Or NATO needs to respond. Someone needs to respond because this is, this is not like it's been a, a con- it, it's been a conflict without weapons. Now there's been now there's a war involved. When it just started, get involved. Like, stop it. Yeah, and there might be some controversy on getting involved, but getting involved sends a message to other African countries because there's still how many civil wars there's going on right now? There's a uh, the DRC, DRC, Ethiopia, Ethiopia is one of them. Uh, Somalia's Somalia is more pirates, but yeah. it's still bad. But it sends. What I'm trying to say is a direct response sends a message. And we haven't seen a direct response yet. The UN peacekeeping forces is kind of the the semi direct response, but to have like NATO troops to go in there and say we don't want any more conflicts in this area will be enough to send a message of fear for them to have to figure out yep. to set up an elected government. Exactly. Which kind of goes into my question that I want to raise is how do we get an elected government in Sudan? And part of that is, first of all, sending a direct response saying, we believe that there needs to be a democracy now. You had from 2019 until now to figure that out, and you guys have failed to come up with this. So yeah. we're going to help ourselves with the help of the United Nations are going to help you to set up this elected government for the first time. That was, the, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that not only the U.S. faulted on, but Europe in general and, and the rest of the world. because. In 2019, that coup happened. What did we do? Nothing. Yeah, we had no opportunity just to go in there and have diplomatic conversation with these people, with the Sudanese, and say, hey, okay, you guys successfully toppled your authoritarian leader. Now, let's elect somebody. Let's run elections. And the United States, historically, when they get to a point like that, is very good at running elections. The problem is, is when they get involved militarily. Yep. That is when they, they struggle. So now we have to get involved. Now that there's a civil war, military has to be involved. And so this is going to lag and slow down the election process. Right. And it's unfortunate. I, I, I do believe that we need, I don't think we need to like go in there and start running away, but like something that just shows, shows a little bit of might, like to do a flyover with some, some F-18s and F-35s. Fly over, send in some troops, and just say, "Well, we're not here to fire, but we're we will break up the fight if we have to." Right. 
I think that'll scare them enough to cease fire and discuss. But then already that that puts this note like this notion that okay, they're just trying to use the force to scare us. Right. And then the Sudanese are going to be, and both sides are going to be like, well, we don't want to negotiate anyway now because we just started fighting. Right. If we would have done this in 2019, 2020, we could have prevented this from happening. And that is some civil elections. True. And I mean, they kind of have to force some action because Sudan is also like bordered with the Red Sea as well. And that's yep. a major shipping route. What's not to say the fighting could just spill over into the sea? What if the RSF just started starts targeting this uh, ships traveling through the Red Sea? What's to say that other like, let's say countries that are uh, that have a side that's involved or uh, friendly with one of the sides gets involved, yeah. and it's multi conflict, and then we have to negotiate with other countries too. That's not easy either. And so, this this is this is a problem that could have been prevented from some diplomatic solutions by sending over diplomats from the U.S., you know, Canada, U.K., France, Germany. And probably just just sit down yeah. and have a talk. Yeah, but we ignored it. We just ignore them, and we we. Well, I understand that we failed in the past with um, implementing elections in countries, and and sometimes we've been successful. But we can't just ignore that as a solution and just like okay, it's their sovereignty. Let them have, figure it out. I mean, it's not like they're a developed worlds, and and it's also not like they're a homogenous society. They're two split societies. There's two different groups there. But now that that's a problem, it's okay to live in, in that kind of society. But when you piss people off, all of a sudden it's you versus it's us versus them. Yeah, and that just creates problems. Yeah, I just got an update from um, looking at Al Jazeera Live News on the UN humanitarian program. They completely shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so it's completely like, um, yep. So they said that um, the United Nations Humanitarian Program, um, Under Secretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator, said they totally shut down the UN's work in Sudan. Uh, people aren't moving. Supplies have been looted, and we don't know what's left. So they just completely pulled the plug in Sudan. So I just saw that. I thought it was uh, important to point that out. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just a, a game plan, a response that needs to needs multilateral response like it can't just be like and it doesn't need to be military action yeah it's still we can still talk about things you can still like ask them to have sit downs and figure things out diplomatically but it needs to be multilateral like they need to call them out but hey guys like please stop like we we need to we can figure this out um get get some elections going yeah i mean the world's just too caught up with ukraine china north korea energy so many it's just like this is like to to the international world, this is just like bottom of the list for them. Anything yep. that happened in Africa really is bottom on the list for everyone's agenda, which is which is unfortunate because of what they can be. Yep. But we've kind of just disregarded everything over yeah. there. So, but I don't know. Do you have anything else to say on this, or do you want to? Uh, yeah, we can move on for that. All right. So, uh, moving on to the import bans on grains from Ukraine. So Poland and Hungary have announced that uh, they're going to place import bans on Ukrainian green and other foods. Um, I believe Slovakia also joined in on this, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it, it must have been recent. I don't have it, yeah. but it could have been, yeah. So it's three countries, Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia. Uh, they Last year, they uh, Poland and Hungary lifted tariffs on uh, grain last year to help them move the grain out. But this has led to uh, farmers in Poland and Hungary... Uh, losing out big time on their incomes because the grain has hurt domestic markets in Poland and Hungary. 
because um, they struggled to compete with the massive amounts of cheap grain flooding their markets. Um, so with Slovakia also um, uh, asking for an import, import halt, um, this is going to definitely trigger uh, an EU response to see what they can do with the grain to not affect the domestic markets, but also move that Ukrainian grain. Oh yeah, um, I, I read in Reuters, uh, the European Commission last month, the Prime Ministers of five Eastern European countries said that the scale of the increase in products like grain, oil seeds, eggs, poultry, and sugar had been unprecedented. It said that tariffs on Ukrainian agricultural imports should potentially be considered. And that that's big, coming from five heads of states, because it's not... You know, a couple, like one or two, whatever. But five heads of states. That sh starts to kind of put a lot of pressure on other larger countries to kind of make a decision to earth. And, I mean, I get it because economically it makes sense. Right. They, they flood the market, prices lower, it hurts domestic industry, um, domestic grain products, farmers, and agriculture. But at this moment, does it really matter to ban grain from Ukraine and potentially hurt Ukraine even more and hurt the fight? I don't think it's going to be like drastic. It's going to hurt the fight for the Ukrainians, right. but it's, it's a step in the direction. I, I understand the feel for the domestic market as well, but it's just we live in a time where we need that grain. And regardless of where you are, you might you want to have cheap access to grain because of inflation, because of all these prices increasing. Yeah. And pulling the plug on that, domestic farmers now need time to like essentially recatch up with production because they were flooded from Ukrainian grain. Now they're going to need time to reboost their production again, which is going to just raise prices for the time being until they can lower it and lower them again. Um, but I think what with what the EU can do with the grain. I'm sure there's got to be a way where we can collect that grain and sell it out. They just, just export it out of the country. Export uh, export out of the EU completely to places like Latin America, Asia. Here in the Americas too, we'll take it. You know what I mean? Well, even that, but like Asia and Latin America also have they also have large yeah, grains, and I don't like, know why they don't try to source it from those countries instead of tariffing Ukraine to slow down the production. Like take it in. Export it out, and or take it in and take other places in. So there's more competition, and not just I don't know. It's it's a, it's, 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 it's a, a tricky situation. One. It's but. really tricky because everyone. I mean, here in the United States, right? Hypothetically, how are our grain farmers doing? Not so well, right? No, it's not not terrible. Not, not terrible, so well. but not so well either. We could use it here in the United States as well. Lower the prices a little bit, but that's still it's. My my thinking was when I was reading this, I was like, okay, if the rest of the world is okay on grain, why don't we have the UN step in and buy out this grain to fulfill their food programs? Mm, mm, that's a good idea. I, I, that's literally the only thing I can think of to to do to see what we can do with this grain because Poland and Hungary don't even want it in their country because they fear that even if they hold on to the grain to see if they can sell it off again, it'll depreciate. They don't want depreciate too. They'll still fear that it'll like leak into their market still. Yeah. So it's just like, well, if if Asia has their grain, Latin America has their grain. What what do we what do we do? What, there's no really realistic solution other than to help domestic markets 
compete with the lower prices of grain and create competition that way. You can do it through subsidies and incentives. Yeah. Other than that, I don't I don't see what a clear solution for this one would be. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because grain is is really, really important to Europe. Yeah. Um, because they're they're believe it or not, they're still a very big agricultural industry, just like Asia is, just like Latin America is. I mean everyone still has a big agricultural industry, but Europe in particular has a lot of grain. So this this was uh Huff, to say, for the Eastern European countries especially, terror of Ukraine. And it's going to be tough for Ukraine. But I, I think you're right. I think the UN just needs to go in and just buy it and use it for humanitarian needs and send it out. There's no other There's solution. There's no other solution because they just need to get it out of the market. Unless it's going to be a new, a new era where we just have so much grain now and we're just going to have low grain prices for like the rest of our lives until that grain like runs out or whatever it is. But we might just be living in a new age where it's just grain is just going to be cheap. It's going to be a cheap product and it's going to be hard to compete with. And that's nothing that's that's nothing that's bad either because yeah. you know grain is is important. It's a lot of made for a lot of things, you know, food products yeah. specifically. But I mean, and plus demand and supply would also equal on its own. It'll shift it, itself. It'll yeah. shift itself because if you have a lot of grain, then it won't incentivize farmers to focus on grain, but they'll focus on other products for that year. So then now your supply will continue to go down and down and down and the demand will go up and up and up as farmers shift their outlook. So it's just demand and supply is an interesting thing because it kind of automatically just fixes itself. Yeah, I know. And there's a lot of supply right now. And I mean, little to no demand because there's so much of it and there's a good amount of supply. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll just, if we just let it, I, I hate just saying having to let it be, but this is another one of those situations where we got to compete with, with the low prices, and that's that. We just got to, yeah, this is something that I think Eastern Europe, unfortunately, has to just say, we got to deal with it. Because there's a war going on, and there's a country that has something to hold on to to sell, to keep their fight going. And yes, it's going to hurt your domestic industry in the short run. This is. This is a period, I think, in time that we're seeing a war, unprecedented inflation, and just economic downturns because of COVID. And yet, we haven't hit the recession that we should have yet. And so what I'm thinking is, is we're going to potentially, and this is big picture, hit short-term, in a short-term uh, recession, and then boom out of it. And I think that they need to look at it like that and say, right now it's going to suck. Iran will correct itself and probably just go into the like thousands of percentile growth. Right. Just say, all right, fine. We can we can we can brunt it right now because the EU is just so it's so well oiled. Great, it's a well oiled machine economically. Right. Economically, other ways it's not, but economically, <laughs> it is a well oiled machine. It is the third largest economic power in the world behind China and the United States. Just brought it. Just brought it for now. I think it's the, the goal. Yeah. I don't. I don't see it lasting for another year. To be honest with you. Yeah. These problems. I agree. We're just gonna have to see, wait, and see what the EU comes out with and how they're going to respond to these tariffs. But yeah. Um. Other than that, I don't have much else to say. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add on the? No. These are uh, just the Sudan crisis. I think is is really big for Africa. So I think. Uh, 
keeping That's up on that situation is going to be important because Sudan, as I believe, the fourth largest country in terms of population and um, what do you call it, economy in Africa. And right. so a civil war, no, no, <laughs> that's a no, no, that's bad. And with this import ban, sh- shifts a lot of the things out of Ukraine favor if it goes as a European Union thing. Yeah. So these are definitely situations to keep up on. But otherwise, um, thank you guys for listening. Again, we're sorry for the, the late delay on these uh, these episodes, but we hope you guys enjoy them. And we're going to be back onto the regular schedules uh, coming up. So, all right. Thank you all.